So we're taking a break from our study of 1 Corinthians during Advent. So during these crazy weeks leading up to Christmas, we are as a church trying to slow down in this space and explore what it might look like to practice Advent. So you might be thinking, first of all, what on earth is Advent? Second of all, how do I practice Advent? I understand being in Advent, but how do I practice Advent? Well, first, remember what Advent means. Advent is an old word for arrival, specifically the arrival of Jesus. And so to practice Advent is to wait on the arrival of Jesus. We imagine ourselves to be Old Testament Israel, who, by the way, knows what it's like to wait on the arrival of Jesus. And so we take our cues from the story in which we find ourselves, the story of Israel, which does two things. It helps us, God's people, Jesus' followers, who are on the other side of his first arrival. It helps us to celebrate Christmas when it comes. But the second thing it does is it actually trains us to wait on God's promises, specifically the promise of Jesus' return, his second advent, his second arrival, when he comes and he makes all things new. And so we practice advent by waiting, by waiting on Jesus. It's a four-week season when the world is crazy and we slow down and we wait. We wait on Jesus, which means Advent is probably the most countercultural thing that we do as a church. While the world is speeding up, the church is slowing down. While the world tends to ignore pain through regimented and forced cheer. Just go to Starbucks and you'll see what I mean with the music just blaring. We are acknowledging pain. We are looking with wide open eyes squarely at what is wrong with the world as we wait on Jesus to fix it. This is countercultural. I like how Tish Warren puts it. She says to practice Advent is to lean into an almost cosmic ache. You want a definition? What does it mean to practice Advent? It's to lean in to the cosmic ache. Our deep, wordless desire, she writes, for things to be made right and the incompleteness we find in the meantime. So the practice Advent is to lean in. It's to lean into the ache. And the church has been doing this for millennia. This is not something that we are making up. We're standing on shoulders upon shoulders upon shoulders of Jesus followers who have been leaning into the ache during these four weeks leading up to Christmas. There's one particularly beautiful tradition that the church is known for uh, in leaning in, which are called the O antiphons or what I'll call the O prayers. So as early as the 400s, we know that the ancient church, in the ancient church, Christians would pray these O prayers in the seven days leading up to Christmas. So they would pray, O Messiah, O Root of Jesse, O King of David, O Emmanuel. And you're noticing they're referencing the Messiah with these Old Testament titles that are that are meant to create longing for his arrival. 
O key of David. And so during Advent, what we are doing here at Hope is we're using these ancient prayers and more importantly the scripture behind them to lean into the ache. So if you were with us last week, we prayed, O root of Jesse. And we used this prayer and the scripture behind it, which took us to Isaiah 11. We used this to lean into the ache. This morning, we're going to look at the prayer titled, O morning star. Or, O day spring. The prayer goes like this. This is an ancient prayer. O morning star, splendor of light eternal and sun of righteousness. Come and enlighten those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death. So here the Messiah, Jesus, is depicted as the awaited sunrise after a long night of darkness. This image reverberates all through scripture. The image is that of the world like a long night. Waiting for day spring. When the darkness is finally dealt with. It's in Isaiah. It's in Malachi. It's in John. It's in Revelation. But this morning we're going to look at Luke chapter 1. Because in it we have a prophecy or a song that John the Baptist's dad, his name Zechariah, He's a priest, and he sings this over his son. You'll see it in the text. If you look again at the Bible, you'll see starting in verse 67, what is titled Zechariah's prophecy. And his father, Zechariah, it says in verse 67, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. And we're going to pick it up at verse 76. And you, child, speaking of his son, John the Baptist, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. To give knowledge of salvation to his people. And the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. Whereby the sunrise, the day spring, shall visit us from on high. To give light to those who sit in darkness And in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Lord, would you enlighten our hearts by your Holy Spirit so that we don't just learn information this morning, but that we would encounter the day spring himself, Jesus. We've got all kinds of things that we would characterize as dark in our lives. We ask that he would shine on us even this morning as we wait for him. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so every time I put my boys to bed, they always ask to leave the hall light on. Always, without exception. And I like to remind them in those moments that they have a nightlight on already. That doesn't matter. Our house is just punctuated by artificial light. 
And it's not just upstairs where they sleep. It's downstairs as well. So we've got the hall light on. We've got the night lights on upstairs. Our bathroom light is usually on. It stays off when I go to bed, but somehow it's on when I wake up. There's street lamps outside my window that are coming through. There's even a traffic light light that sort of creeps its way through our windows as well. There's all those blinking LED lights that are sort of flashing in every dark room so that this house at night is punctured with artificial light. And I know I'm not alone because our neighbors right next to us leave their kitchen light on every single night and have ever since they moved in. And so their kitchen light creeps into our light into our house as well. We live in an age of abundant artificial light. I mean, you can visit, like I did this week, NASA's observatory website and see for yourself that even at night, satellite images show the world is lit up, even at night, especially at night. A few years ago, Paul Bogard wrote a book called The End of Night. The subtitle is great, Searching for Natural Darkness in an Age of Artificial Light. And a summary of this book says, quote, ever-present modern artificial lights have changed the way humans experience darkness. Now, why am I saying this? Well, because think about it. Ancient cultures didn't have artificial lights. They may have had a lamp, but oil was scarce. It's not like they left them light burnt. So for them, night was night. Amen? Can I get amen? Night was night. Darkness was darkness. It just was. And nothing could break the night except for one thing. Sunrise. Why is this important to consider? Because from beginning to end, the Bible describes this fallen world in terms of night and darkness. And in our passage, John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, says in verse 78, if you cast your eyes again to the text, the sunrise, speaking of the Messiah, shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. He's quoting the old prophet Isaiah in this text. Isaiah 9-2 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. And so think about it. If you lived in the ancient world, the darkness of night would have been a powerful image of all that is wrong with the world. Far more powerful to them than it probably is to us. Because, again, we can flip on a switch in the middle of the night. We can turn on the TV in the middle of the night. We can drive to Walmart in the middle of the night. When the night gets long, we have recourse. But not so for them. They had to endure the darkness. They had to endure the danger. They had to endure the difficulty of night. Which is why I think the Bible tells us that the world is like a long night. Because this world is hard. This world is dangerous. This world is not the way it's supposed to be. Because of our sin. And the way that sin has multiplied and stacked on top of each other. And we just have a world that is bent, that is broken, that is not right. The world indeed is like a long, hard night.
This may not surprise you, but I think the Bible is right on this front. On every front, to be honest. Especially this front. Life in this world does feel like, in my life, like a long night of darkness. I recognize darkness in my own heart. That just seems to linger. Ways that I've hurt others. Ways that I continue to hurt others. Ways I've made a mess of things. I recognize darkness in other people's hearts. Sorry, I do. I see it. I'm sure you do as well. I've been wronged. I've been manipulated. I'm sure you have as well. And I recognize darkness in the world as well. Cancer is not the way it is supposed to be. Whatever else you are confronted with is not the way it is supposed to be. Just about everything on my news feed is not the way it is supposed to be. The world is in the midst of a long, hard night. Can I get an amen? It just is. And we're a part of it. And so the question I have for all of us this morning is what can we do about this darkness? What is there to do about this darkness? And I honestly think we have one of two options. The first, we can create artificial light and try to push the darkness away ourselves. Or we can wait for real light. To come and dispel the darkness for good. Create or wait. Honestly, that is the choice. We can create artificial light or we can wait for real light. Let's look at both. We'll start with creating artificial light. This is the first response that many of us have to the darkness in our life. We recognize it. Something happens. We're aware that things aren't right in my own soul. Things aren't right in the, in the lives of those around me. The world isn't right. And so instead of waiting on Jesus to fix it, we take matters into our own hands, don't we? And so the prophet Isaiah In chapter 50, verses 10 through 11, which you can turn to if you'd like, or you can listen along, warns us about this approach to life, creating artificial light. The prophet says, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Again, Isaiah 50, verse 10. Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. I'll say that again. Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. Have you ever woken up? And you think it's like 6 or 7 in the morning, but then you look at your, your phone, more likely, and you see that it's 2 a.m. You're wide awake, and it's 2 a.m., and so you try all that you can do to go back to sleep, and you just can't because you're thinking about how, late, how early it is and how this is going to mess up your day. And you just can't fall asleep. The night seems to drag on and on and on and on and on. It's like the longest night ever. 
Well, this is the picture that the, the prophet paints for us. And the temptation for us is to do something about it. But the prophet says, trust in the Lord in the dark. Time and time again, Scripture promises us two things. The world will be dark. Number two, the Lord will be with you in that darkness. He doesn't promise that the Lord will always take away the darkness until he comes back. Yeah, he he shepherds us through the valley of darkness. But when we create artificial light, instead of trusting in the Lord, the prophet gives us a warning. It will result in torment. This is what artificial lights do. They remove trust in God. They remove surrender to God. They remove patience and they remove prayer, don't they? When you create your own fire to see by, you are basically saying to God, I don't need you. I'm going to do this on my own. And what you're doing in those moments is you're separating yourself from God and dependence upon God. You are removing yourself from patience, from prayer, from dependence, from trust. You are, in essence, removing yourself from God, which the prophet is right, is torment. The ultimate torment, separation from God. This week, my oldest had to stay home from school for a sinus infection. Uh, We went to the doctor early in the morning uh, with Lou in tow, our youngest. But we had to wait forever in the lobby because apparently people are all getting sick right now. Have you caught on to this trend? It's happening. Finally, after a long wait, our name was called and we go in, but it was only for the vitals, which is a cruel trick if you're in the medical profession to just call someone in for vitals and then send them back out. That's what they did. So then we sat longer, even longer in the lobby after we got our vitals. And then when we finally got in the room, there's another cruel trick they do. They tell you to wait in the room. And so here you are around all these medical devices and the promise of a doctor coming in, but they're not there. And you hear them kind of walk by the closed door, don't you? And you think, surely they're going to open this door, and they never do. <laughs> they're talking about the door next to you. No, I know it's busy in there. Here was my temptation, though. We just wanted to get up and leave. We were hungry. I was thinking to myself, I'm just not going to go to the doctor next time. That's the temptation, isn't it? When you wait so long, you're like, forget it. Forget the doctor. Forget the medicine. But if we had done that, we would not have gotten the prescription. We would not have gotten the antibiotic and we would not have gotten well. And that's exactly what we're doing when we stop waiting on the Lord in the darkness. We're creating artificial light and we lose out on the true healing. It's tempting though. But let me ask you, what artificial light are you trusting in this morning? These are things or these are people or these are ideas in your life that you are trusting in. Trusting in for your comfort. Trusting in for your safety. Trusting in for your loveliness. Trusting in for your okayness. We all want to be okay, right? Isn't that ultimately what we want? We want to wake up and we want to be okay. What is it that we are trusting in to be okay? 
It's like this. If I can just have fill in the blank, then I am okay. How do you fill in that blank? It's an honest question. Well, if it isn't Jesus, the day spring, the morning star, the morning light, light of the world, if it isn't Jesus, it's just an artificial light. And what do artificial lights do? They burn out. Oil burns out if it's a lamp. Wax burns out if it's a candle. Batteries die if it's a flashlight. Artificial light cannot ultimately break the dark. It might for a season. It works really well for a season. But it'll eventually burn out. It can't answer the darkness. I recently saw an interview with the comedian and actor Tony Hale. He talks openly about the artificial light of career success, which in Hollywood is gaining notoriety because you've finally gotten the sitcom. You've finally gotten the film role. And so here's his quote. He says, when I got it, when he got the sitcom that he'd been dreaming of and working towards his whole life, when I got it, he, he says, I won't say it was a depression, but you do go through a disappointment because that fame, that thing didn't satisfy the way you thought it would satisfy. It burns out. In the darkness of your life, you may have flipped on the artificial light of career. You're good at it. Everyone in your life says you're good at it. And so you just sort of are living by this career success. What happens when you get laid off? What happens when you make a critical error? Some of you may have flipped on the artificial light of romance. What happens when you get dumped? What happens when you're betrayed? Artificial light, it works for a while. But it will burn out. There is an alternative. The alternative is in our text this morning. We can wait for real light. A sunrise that actually will dispel the darkness for good. In our passage this morning that you heard aloud, John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, sings over his son. He says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. This is verse 76 again, if you want to follow along. For you will go before the Lord, go before Jesus to prepare his ways. And what will you do, John? You will give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby, now speaking of Jesus, the sunrise or the day spring shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Basically, Zechariah is saying, little Johnny's going to be a preacher. And he's going to preach the sunrise of Jesus. Who will end the long night. The sunrise of Jesus ends the long night because he gives us three things that Zechariah tells us here. Friendship with God. Jesus will give knowledge of salvation, the text says. And knowledge, again, isn't raw data. Knowledge is relationship in the Bible. It's relationship. It's friendship. 
We will have knowledge of salvation through Jesus. There is friendship with God. Now, how is that possible? Well, that's the second thing that Zechariah tells us will happen. Forgiveness from God. How can we become friends with the holy God? We're sinners. The darkness in this world is because we are contributing to it. So how can God, who is in unapproachable light, the scriptures say, how can he be approachable? How can he be our friend, our companion through life? Well, forgiveness of sins. That's how Jesus brings with him forgiveness of sins. Not 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 sort of the the um, ignoring of sins. No. Jesus doesn't come and just say, you know what, I'm going to ignore that this happened. No, that can't happen when there's holiness in the equation. When there's holiness in the equation, the sins have to be dealt with. Someone has to absorb the cost. This is true in human relationships. It's so much true in our divine relationship with God. The sin has to be dealt with. And Jesus, as we know, enters into this world and he pays the penalty that our sins deserve on the cross. In our place, through Jesus, we have friendship with God. Our sins are put apart and God no longer accounts them. But he accounts us instead as being united to Jesus in all of his righteousness. We have friendship with God. And the third thing that Zechariah points us to is flourishing with God. Jesus will guide our feet as the sunrise in the path of peace. Now, that word peace means way more than just absence of conflict. Though we do have absence of conflict with God because of Jesus. What it also means is that we have a life of flourishing. A pathway that brings flourishing with God and with others in the world that he made. Everything that makes this world a long night, in other words. Our sin. The brokenness of this world. Everything. Jesus solves. Everything. Everything that makes this world a long night, Jesus solves. Everything. Everything. Okay? Everything. Everything that makes your life a long night, Jesus solves. Ultimately. Nothing else will dispel the darkness. Again, you might think it is, but it won't last. It doesn't do the deep down work that needs to be done. And so I think you have a choice this morning. Will you create or will you wait? Will you create artificial light or will you wait on the true light? Will you create artificial light that might get you, give you light today and tomorrow? Maybe but will eventually burn out, not just in this life, but for all of eternity. Remember, Jesus describes life apart from God eternally as outer darkness. Or will you wait on the true light, Jesus, who will never burn out? Not only in this life, but for all of eternity. So that at the very end of our Bibles in Revelation 21, 
it tells us that the resurrected and renewed creation, which we are headed towards, and I'm quoting scripture now, does not need the sun. Why? For the glory of God gives it light and the lamb is its lamp. This is the sunrise and never sets. This is the light that will once and for all, forever, for all of eternity, dispel all darkness. So I want you to wait. Now what can we do as we wait? Well, as some people put it, we can puncture the darkness. We can puncture the darkness. So as we choose to wait on Jesus, there's a really amazing thing that happens in your life. Some of you have experienced this. If you choose to follow Jesus and to wait on him right now, the scriptures promise you that you yourself will be united to Jesus and you yourself will experience light in dark places. It's not the complete and total sunrise that we expect when he returns, but it is substantial. More than that, scriptures say that that full-on sunrise is in in some time-warp way brought into your life so that you exist as a light-bearer with Jesus. You live today in this dark world with full-on light of Jesus. So we wait on Jesus even as we have Jesus today by the Holy Spirit. What this means then is that we have work to do today. We can in many ways puncture the darkness with our life. In fact, that's what scripture tells us to do. Jesus calls his disciples the light of the world. Now, of course, we all know Jesus is the light of the world. He's the day spring. But when we're united to him, when we're following him, we reflect and we refract that light into the world. John, the gospel writer, writer of Revelation, he says that we are light. Paul says that we are children of light. The church is described as light in a dark world. So we can puncture the darkness even as we wait on Jesus. How do we do that? Well, we can share Jesus. Every time you talk and proclaim and, and, and sort of spill over with who Jesus is and what he does, like Connie did for us this morning, anytime that spills over, our heart just pours out and says, isn't Jesus beautiful? Anytime we do that, we are punctuating the dark. We are puncturing the dark. Whenever we act in mercy, whenever we act in justice, whenever we orient our lives toward that future day when Jesus makes all things new, whenever we show previews of that future day, we are puncturing the dark. Whenever we repent of sin, we puncture the dark. We are walking in resurrection life that the Spirit gives us. Whenever we wake up and we say, Lord, I turn from this and I turn to you. It's an amazing mission, you guys. Jesus, who is the light, calls you to yourself to be a light in this dark, long night. I think the second thing we can do, 
while we wait is pray. Again, we can pray and join with the church in praying to the day spring from on high. We can pray, O come, thou day spring from on high. O come, and cheer us by thy drawing nigh. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. This can be our prayer. So let's do that now together. Lord, we ask you hasten your return. Come, Lord Jesus. Cheer us by your drawing near and dispersing all that is dark in this world. Until that day, we trust in you, we wait on you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.